Now, as I said last week, beginning a series of sermons more so than homilies, uh, lessons, if you will, on the seven sacraments. So I tried to keep it short, and my apologies, that didn't really work. I'll do my best, though. Uh, Today, I'm talking about baptism. When families gather for baptism, it's a joyous occasion, you know? Everybody's dressed up, the extended family is around. Um, It's a beautiful ceremony. A lot of times the family has a celebration afterwards. So I really love doing baptisms. But I don't think people really appreciate how awesome baptism is. Young couples uh, having kids, they, they seem to know it's something that they're supposed to do. Maybe they don't know why. Or maybe grandma has hounded them so much that they're finally going to get the kid baptized, right? Uh, Well, I'm happy to see these couples bring their kids, but I wish they, and I wish all of us, better understood. So today, as I say, I'm going to talk a little bit about the sacrament of baptism. What it is, why we need it, what it does, and then a few practical considerations about it. So, what is baptism? Well, of course, I think most people know that it's some kind of church ritual involving water, right? Um, And the reason Jesus chose water for this sacrament can be found by looking back at salvation history. As I mentioned last week, sacraments are visible signs that represent and bring about grace. So water is a very fitting visible sign for baptism's graces. Because it reminds us of all that God did in salvation history to save and purify his people. For example, it wasn't long after Adam and Eve committed that first original sin that uh, humanity just started to fall apart, fall down into sin. They ate the forbidden fruit. Cain killed his brother Abel. It was all downhill from there. Humanity was suffering the horrible effects of sin everywhere. Then Noah boarded the ark. And God, through water, through the flood, cleansed humanity of sin. Gave it a new start. Remember, too, how the Hebrew people, they were being chased by the Egyptians through the desert once they were finally free. They seemed to be facing, though, certain defeat. Until God opened up a passage through the Red Sea. Moses led them, his chosen people, through the waters of the Red Sea. And then closed the waters destroying the enemies of God's people, saving his people by water from death. Judaism, too, it included all kinds of ritual washings with water that were meant to purify. And then there's John the Baptist. He's described in the Gospels as calling people to acknowledge their sins, to be washed by water as a symbol of their desire to receive God's forgiveness. Then Jesus came along. He went to John the Baptist in the river. He asked John to baptize him. And what did John do? Well, understandably, he said, I need to be baptized by you, yet you're coming to me. And Jesus replied, saying, Allow it now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So all those times when God used water in the Old Testament to save, to purify, All those were foreshadowing what Jesus is doing here. All of that is fulfilled in Jesus. It was at Jesus' baptism when it's it's said that 
Jesus wasn't made holy by the water in his baptism, but the water itself was made holy by Jesus. And from that moment on, baptism had the power of Jesus to make us holy. It wasn't just a symbolic action like it was when John was doing it. It was raised to the level of a sacrament of the church. And recall what I said last week about sacraments. They're signs of grace. Water is an awesome sign of God's saving work in history, and it's still a sign of what God is doing even now in the sacrament of baptism. I also explained that sacraments, all of them, were instituted by Christ himself. And that passage I was just referencing, where Jesus is baptized, uh, Jesus is doing just that. Baptism comes from Jesus, and it is rooted deep in salvation history. This leads me to the next topic then. Why do we need baptism? Why do we need it? Well, the simple answer, the short answer is, we need baptism because Jesus told us we need it. In the Gospel of John, we hear him say this, Amen, amen, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit, which we understand to mean baptism. And before he ascended to heaven after Easter, Jesus told his disciples, Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He told us, Go baptize everyone, everyone, all the nations. So we need baptism because Jesus said we need it. And as Christians, that really is enough for us, right? Jesus said so, so it's fine. We accept it. But we also kind of want to understand a little more deeply why, right? Like kids ask their parents, why do I have to do this? And the parents say, because I said so. They want to know more. Why? Well, we need baptism because we are sinners, And baptism is how God has decided to dispense his healing graces. We see this right away in the church, right at the very beginning. Right after being empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and preach the gospel at Pentecost, which is the birthday of the church, the very beginning, St. Peter himself said to the crowds, they must, quote, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. This is why we need baptism. It forgives sins. More on that later. In truth, as the Catechism puts it, baptism, quote, is necessary for salvation for those to whom the gospel has been proclaimed and who've had the possibility of asking for the sacrament. The church does not know of any means other than baptism that assures entry into eternal beatitude. We need baptism to get to heaven. So yeah, we need it. Having said that, the catechism does offer a little caveat to that. It says, God has bound salvation to the sacrament of baptism, but he himself is not bound by the sacraments. So there is some hope, some possibility of salvation for those who died without baptism. You know, little babies that were died before baptism or, or other people, anyone. But we don't know how likely it is. And we do know that baptism works. So we do everything we can to baptize everyone we can. And that leads me to another topic. 
What does baptism do specifically? I mean, I mentioned like forgiveness of sin. And actually, that is the first of the major effects of baptism. Baptism forgives all sin as well as all the punishment that is due sin. This means that baptism actually removes original sin, which we all inherit, right, from Adam and Eve. Thanks, you know, thanks a lot, Adam and Eve, right? It also removes the guilt of any personal sins that we committed before baptism. For me, that calls to mind the good thief, the guy crucified next to Jesus. He admitted he was guilty of his sin. He admitted he was getting what he deserved. He was being crucified. But he turned to Jesus and repented and said, and asked God for help. And Jesus responded and said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Baptism is like that. It immediately wipes away all sin. And it also, this is another effect of it, washes away any punishment due for the sin. Like that thief, someone who would die immediately after baptism would immediately enter heaven. No matter what they did before that moment. They wouldn't even stop in purgatory. Now for us, most of us anyway, baptized as infants, though, we've had a lot of time after that, had like 40-some years now, to continue to sin. Because unfortunately, baptism doesn't eliminate our inclination towards sin uh, that are committed after baptism. It is no guarantee of heaven. It's a great help. But as we continue to live, we can continue to reject God. He respects our free will. So this means while a serial killer baptized immediately before death would immediately go to heaven, I, who am not a serial killer, uh, would probably spend time in purgatory. I hope not, but I think it's likely due to my sins, small or large, in God's eyes. And that begs the question then, if baptism really does this, it removes all sin, the guilt of all sin, and all the punishment due to sin that was committed before it, should we wait to be baptized until later? Maybe uh, until we're old enough to understand, or old enough to have committed a bunch of sins already that would then be wiped out? Or how about we wait until right before death? A deathbed baptism would be awesome, but it's also very unlikely and dangerous because we never know if we're going to wake up tomorrow, right? This is why it's always been the practice of the Catholic Church to baptize infants soon after birth. Our bishop, in fact, has made it a rule that baptisms ought to occur by the third week after birth. The third week. That almost never happens. A lot of people contact me three years Two years, one year, maybe six months, maybe five years after, but almost never within three weeks. Uh, it used to be even sooner, before the mother would even be out of the hospital. They would like take the kid uh, right away. Mom's still in the hospital, and they rush the kid off to be baptized at the church with the rest of the family. Uh, now, we don't do that, but we shouldn't wait so long. Because baptism is like life-saving medicine that we dispense for the good of our little ones as soon as we can. But as long as someone's alive, it's never too late to get baptized. Sooner the better, right? 
Baptism also has the effect, I've got a whole list of effects here, has the effect of giving us sanctifying grace, which is grace that makes us holy. We even say that the sacrament makes us a new creature, an adopted son or daughter of God the Father, heirs to the kingdom of heaven. By baptism, we're justified and helped to have faith in God, to hope in him, to love him. In baptism, we receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit for the first time, which help us to live every moment of our lives after that the way God wants us to live, to live in friendship with him. And that's another reason to not put it off till right before death, because with the grace of baptism, you can better live life. Also, baptism makes us Catholics. Before baptism, we are not Christians. But after, after baptism, we are. Baptism is how we enter the church. Incidentally, that's why baptismal fonts are placed right there in many churches by the door. Because it's through baptism that we enter not just the building, but the church. Baptism also unites us with all the other Christians in the world. I think it's really sad that we are... Some people think it's awesome there's such diversity. You know, among Christians, there's so many options. I think it's sad that we're divided into Lutherans and Methodists and Assembly of God. But at the very least, we do consider one another true Christians, true brothers and sisters in Christ, because we do share the sacrament of baptism. So our Lutheran brothers and sisters, they really are Christians. And we respect them for that. We have a lot in common. Not everything, but a lot. Also, baptism imparts a permanent mark on a person's soul. And by this, I mean that you can't be unbaptized. I've you know, heard stories of people later on in life. They become atheists. They become angry. They hate the church for whatever reason. And then they even write a letter to the Pope saying, I hereby... Uh, renounce my baptism, I'm, I'm unbaptized, take me out of the baptismal register, remove it. We can't. It's permanent. There's nothing we can do. You're a Christian, even if you don't like it. Um, likewise, you can't repeat baptism. So, yeah, you can't be baptized as an infant, and then later on get more of the same awesome graces right before death. Uh, so to recap, Baptism has the effect of washing away the guilt of all of our sins, as well as any punishment due to sins. Baptism also gives us sanctifying grace, uh, permanently making us Christians. Now, a few final, more practical considerations about, like, the rite of baptism and so on. You know, if you've been to a baptism, you've seen different symbols, different uh, symbolic things. I'll mention a few of them. The one being baptized is anointed with holy oil on the forehead and on the chest. This represents the Holy Spirit's work, as well as the fact that from that point on, the person shares in the priestly, prophetic, and kingly uh, dignity of Christ. We also see the person go down into the water, either by actually being immersed or by being, having water poured over them. And this reminds us of Christ going down into his grave. And then rising from the waters of baptism is like the resurrection. 
The person being baptized is baptized into Jesus' death and resurrection. We see the baptismal candle being lit from the Easter candle. That's a symbol of the one being baptized then sharing in the light of Christ, a light that's meant then to be shared with the whole world. We see the white garment of the person that they're wearing as a sign of their newfound purity from all the filth of sin. We see the ephephtha rite. That's when the minister touches the person's ears and lips, asking God to open the person's ears so they can take in God's word and open their mouth so they can share it. Not meant to, as baptized Christians, just sit in the pews and absorb. We're meant to go share the gospel as well. Right. I also wanted to mention that the normal procedure for a baptism is to have a priest or a deacon do the baptism. But in emergencies, anyone can do a baptism. All that is required is to pour water over the person or immerse them in water three times, saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You should all know that in case you run into someone who's dying. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's it. And uh, people should know this, especially those who maybe work in hospitals, for example. But that's only for emergencies. It's not, as I heard one, someone once say, it's not for grandmas in the kitchen baptizing their unbaptized grandkids. Don't do that. Um, if you did that, you have to let me know. And then I have to put it in our baptismal register because it worked, right? But emergencies only. Uh, also, I wanted to say, traditionally, baptism is the time when a child is given their name. Traditionally, the name is a Christian name such as the name of a saint. There are at least two St. Jasons. So my parents didn't know that, but they picked a saint name. Um, it could be something else too, like faith or grace or even Jesus. In fact, that used to be the law of the church. A priest or a deacon couldn't uh, baptize someone unless it was a Christian name. You couldn't make up something new. Now the law apparently just says, a name foreign to Christian sensibility is not given. So if you name your kid Lucifer or Jezebel, like, I'm not going to baptize your kid as Lucifer. <laughs> All right. Don't do that. It's a terrible idea. But picking the name of a saint for your child, I think it's important. It provides them a connection to an intercessor in heaven, a hero to imitate as they grow and work through life. And while that might sound restrictive, there are thousands of saints to choose from. Uh, but you really don't need to make up something that has no meaning or is unique. Or unusual, I should say. I should also say a few words about godparents. Now, godparent is not just an honorary title, right? Godparents make promises to God. And if you make a promise to God, you better try to keep it, right? They make promises to God during the ceremony that they're going to help the one who's being baptized to live the faith as a faithful Catholic. And that's not a promise that should be taken lightly or just forgotten after a few weeks. It's a lifelong commitment. God expects godparents to keep that promise. And as you're picking godparents and asking them to be godparents, keep that in mind. If they make that promise, are they going to keep it? 
Uh, That said, parents, they are the ones who have the greatest responsibility of all for the faith life of their children. Far, far too often, baptism is the first and the last time that I see a lot of kids. Maybe they'll come back at uh, confirmation. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe they'll come back when they get married. I don't know. But parents who do not live the Catholic faith that they profess, who do not teach their kids the faith or bring them to Mass every weekend, they will have something serious to answer for on the Day of Judgment. They need to bring that to confession and they need to start trying to be faithful in that regard. It's a serious matter. Generations of Catholics rest on the shoulders of every parent. So, yes. Like I said, though, I don't think people appreciate how awesome the sacrament really is. It's the continuation of Jesus' saving work. It, can ter- can, it carries on God's tradition of using water to save his people. Jesus himself told us we need it for salvation. And through it, we receive forgiveness and we're brought into the family of God, the Catholic Church. Amen.